WrestlePlug 444 Life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to hashtag get plugged in. The refreshing, empowering moment that we have all wanted from WWE. It's like ordering a, a medium pizza and then turning up with an extra large and a bottle of Coke. You absolute moldy cheese fucking baby bell dairy lead dunker shit. What happens is these fucking people live in this fantasy land. Everyone got their shit in. Everyone got each other over. Everyone looked good and made the industry look great. People need to fucking back the fuck off Ronda Rousey. New to oh. wrestling talent. Mama mia! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Aaron Nix from the Wrestling Club, and I'm here to review AEW Revolution. Hmm. Sit back, relax, have a nice cup of coffee. Hell, you might need a fucking Jack and Coke, just like our good boy John Moxley after watching there. Now. To be fair, I actually thought overall this pay-per-view was great, so let's break into it. Now, in the buy-in, we were scheduled to have a women's tag team match. Thunder Rosa and Ryu versus Reba and Britt Baker. Of course, Reba is injured, so they need an excuse to shoehorn in a surprise. And surprise they do with Marky Ito, of course. Now, Marky Ito, to be fair, was... Quite a big standout and excited a lot of people just because of her tweets calling herself the deity of shit and piss. Marvellous. <laughs> Sounds like a future wife, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and she replaced Reba in this match. And she came out and did her little performance live, not recorded, uh, which wasn't very good, if I'm being honest. Just not my cup of tea. Sounded like a bunch of cats being strangled and then chucked in a river. And then swam down a river and fell into a grinder and then that grinder was chucked off the edge of the earth that's what that sounded like but that being said the match was all right it was fine uh Britt baker and mark ito go over but it's the buying and i've got to be honest i don't care and if you're putting it on a show like that why am i supposed to care either because what you're essentially saying is yeah this match isn't good enough to be on the main card but you know orange cassidy and all that lot are i'll get to that uh, I thought this match was fine. I actually felt like this could have been on the main card, especially with a couple of the other matches, which felt quite underwhelming. Now, to be fair, the show did open up quite well. Now, as everybody knows, I'm not a big fan of the Young Bucks. However, this was a great match. They defended the tag team titles successfully, of course, against Chris Jericho and MJF. From the get-go, I enjoyed the pomp and circumstance and the nonsense involved in this match. Aubrey Edwards holds up the uh, tag team titles to display them before the match starts. And Jericho's like, "Way!" <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. I enjoyed that, to be fair. Got a little pop out of me. And the match was good. It was very physical. It was very hard working. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, let's be fair, MJF was in the ring. But Jericho is getting a lot of abuse and a lot of criticism on social media. Not just for his physique, but his, his social life choices. His life choices, everything else in between. That being said, uh, I actually thought his work rate was very good in this match. And we saw glimpses of what reminds us of why he is one of the all-time great wrestlers, at least. And, yeah, I, I enjoyed this match. Plenty of good highlights, plenty of good flips. Everything you'd expect from a Young Bucks match. It, it can get a bit samey. One thing I will give the Young Bucks credit for, though, is they seem to have slowed down a lot of their offense. And I do appreciate that, because it does feel like they just... For years and years, it was the same routine and formula and crazy flips and let's not fucking take a breath. Let's just go full throttle. And 
after a while, once you've seen it the way it is, you think, okay, great. I've got nothing against flips. I'm not one of these people who believes that you shouldn't be allowed to have routines or <sighs> gymnastics or whatever people are calling them, the buzzwords that make sense for the average critique. But I thought overall, excellent match, to be fair. Really good quality. We then had a Casino Tag Team Royale, first that I'm aware of. Maybe I haven't seen another one, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention enough. But this was really good. It was essentially a Tag Team Royal Rumble. So two tag teams start, and then every minute and a half, another tag team comes in. And also, I really appreciated the fact that both team members had to be thrown over the top rope to get an elimination. And this match was actually excellent. I loved this match. Um, do you know what? Fuck it. I thought this was the best match of the night for my cup of tea. I love a Royal Rumble. Who doesn't? I love the anticipation, the, you know, the uncertainty of who's coming through the curtain next. I really like that kind of vibe and I like that kind of unpredictable nature and that organic reaction that can be garnered from a match like this. And obviously I was rooting for my boys. Pack and Phoenix, and I was a very, very pleased wrestling fan by the end of this match. But it was great. Loads of good stuff involved in it. I felt like the guys who I didn't want to see overwhelm this match didn't. I thought Dustin Rhodes was excellent. Again, he's still such a great worker despite getting up there in the years. He's still, for me, one of the best all-round in-ring workers still going today. I just think he's excellent. I think he really is a ring general and lends himself well to this product. Now, QT Marshall uh, gets the award for the worst heel turn I've ever seen. <laughs> he dumps out the gun club. By the way, the gun club, right? Uh, Betty Gunn's two sons, I think. They come down and fucking hell, these lads, right? Not only do they look just like their old man, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Huge blonde tank of a man. You know, they're jacked, they're good looking. They can work really well because obviously... With a dad like Billy Gunn, you're going to have to make sure that you do things properly and professional. <sighs> Why aren't they used more? I never see these guys on Dynamite. I never see them on the main roster. What's that all about? They're always cheerleading at ringside. Come on, man. Make use of these guys. They're so good. And I don't want to hear this excuse that some people are using on social media. Well, you don't want to push them too much in case people just say they're getting pushed because of their dad. <sighs> Worked for The Rock, didn't it? Come on, lads. Pull your thumbs out. Uh, they get eliminated by QT Marshall. And then Dustin Rhodes is like, what'd you do that for? They're part of the Nightmare family. Why'd you eliminate them? And he goes, oh, fuck you. And he just jumps over the top rope, spits in his direction and leaves. Okay. Thanks for coming, buddy. Gotta be honest, don't care about QT Marshall. He has all the performance attributes of a walnut. <laughs> but this match was fantastic. Uh, I got to see Bear Country for the first time. Fucking love these two. Big, meaty, bearded hosses like myself. How could I not like it? To be honest, looked like I was related to them, actually. I was like, my sons have done so well. I'm so proud of them. <laughs> I just, I love those two. Whatever, great, proper, bruiser, old school, heel tag team. And I also really love Butcher and the Blade as well. I feel like they get a really bad cut of things in AW and they deserve to be higher up on the card. I genuinely think they're great workers. And obviously they've got Bunny at ringside and... Ultimately, it's my boys who win it. Pack Phoenix going over. That's the right choice. I'm sorry, but they are mega stars. Even commentary had to put them over. They even said at the beginning, who's better as a pair of wrestlers than these two guys? Pack for me is the best wrestler in the world. Ray Phoenix is the best luchador in the world. Put them together, unstoppable. Absolutely fantastic. Will Penta, however, be able to complete the Death Triangle, or as my good friend Nails wants me to say, Triangulo de la Muerte. Need some work. We'll get there eventually. Um, but will Penta complete the hat trick when he goes 
for the ladder match. Women's Championship match kept the momentum going. By this point, I was at a fever pitch. I've just seen a great Royal Rumble match. The tag team opener was fantastic. Even the buy-in had wet my appetite for what I was going to see. And then the women come out. And obviously, as you know, I am big on women's wrestling. Now, some people tweeted me and said this wasn't a very good match. I'd love to know what match you guys were watching because I thought this was fucking excellent. It was hard-hitting. It was physical. It went for the Joshi Strong style approach. Tell you what, though, I can do without Excalibur. Oh, my God. He's now starting to really get on my nerves. I've championed him for a long time, but in this company, he feels like he's got to be the over-the-top, stupid smart. Everyone's got that one friend in their circle of friends, and I'm not going to uh, shout them out because that would be unfair on a global platform, but... Everyone's got that friend, you know, the one who's like, well, actually, uh, I've been watching some of the Joshi Princess Battle Royal tapes, and in 1982, it's like, shut up, fucking hell. Like, don't get me wrong, I like to critique, and I like to analyse, and I like to think that I'm somewhat of an encyclopedia when it comes to wrestling, but Christ, have a day off, bruv. <laughs> and this is what Excalibur's getting like. Oh, did you know that the Joshi Princess title was... It's like, shut up, mate. Call the fucking match. Like, I don't mind a bit of factual nuance. I don't mind that whatsoever. But when you're literally spending half of the content... You can even see and hear the lack of interest from Tony Schiavone and JR, who are, quite frankly, long in the tooth themselves. JR, at this point, genuinely feels like he just doesn't give a shit. It genuinely feels that way. He's like, yeah, yeah, and whatever Excalibur said, mate. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't give a shit, mate. I'm getting paid a lot, and I'm going to try and look like I'm somewhat enthusiastic about calling this. Now, to be fair, I thought this match was excellent, back and forth. I think Hikaru Shida has really proven herself to be the standout champion, actually, in the company. And I think it's really hilarious, because in the package before, Excalibur's like, she's our fighting champion, really? Why is she consistently a ringside, then, just watching the action and not defending the belt or just wrestling more regularly, you cretin? Don't lie to your audience. That's so condescending. That fucking annoys me. Don't get me wrong. I'm an AEW fan. But if I see critiques, I'm going to point them out. And if you're one of those AEW fans who just thinks everything is positive and glowing and there's never anything wrong in the world, well, this podcast is not for you. Hikaru Shida retains the belt, just like I thought she would, to be honest. But I've got to say, uh, Ryo Mizunami, fantastic. Great charisma, legitimate in the ring, physicality. Um, I like her gimmick. I really like the overall dress sense as well. I love the robe and the facial expressions. She feels like a cut above when it comes to Japanese women's wrestling. And that's no mean feat, because for me, overall, I think they have the most disciplined and best all-round women's product in the world. For her to come out, and have a match like this on a more, shall we say, sports entertainment-based brand. I think that's quite impressive. I think she deserves a lot of respect for that. Great match for, once again, Hikaru Shida has one of the better women's matches you've seen in this company. At the end, all the heels come down. Nyla Rose and the gang. I can do without seeing the possum-faced lunatic that is Vicky Guerrero. Sorry, love, but you are just go away. At this point, I can... What's the point of her? She doesn't do anything. Like, she barely says a fucking word because she's never on TV. And when she does, she just goes, nah, <laughs> and just cackles like a witch. And I just think, mute. Can't be bothered, love. Cannot be bothered. But the heels beat him up until Thunder Rosa makes a save and that sets up a six-women tag team match for Dynamite. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> At least it's a women's match on the card. It'd be nice if they had two matches. Can you imagine it? That would be an earth-shattering proposal, wouldn't it? Never would you see a wrestling brand have two women's matches. Oh, wait. Dynamite's the only one that really struggles with that concept. Fair enough. Sorry, but they're still going to get taken to task, and I will continue to take them to task. Then the show had the lull 
and I was expecting this, i got to be honest, the next two matches were piss break matches for me, and that's not because I don't like some of the talent. I think Miro is the most ridiculously underutilized wrestler in the world right now. All I fucking hear from the proper AEW marks, not all of their fans, there's some really good eggs out there and some really good people who are very passionate, like Amy and Nails, and I love them dearly. And you can engage in a healthy debate with those people. But you know the ones who are like just, you know, stonewall. No, everything's fine. Everything's great all the time. They use this excuse. Oh, you know, what I like about AEW is unlike WWE, they use all their talent properly and everyone gets utilized properly. Obviously not fucking Miro. Rusev was the biggest and most over-heavyweight in WWE. And if you want to say at the back end of his run he was mismanaged, fine. But the guy was undefeated for a year. He was in a high-profile match with the biggest star of the modern era, John Cena, at WrestleMania. He came out on a fucking tank. Fast forward to AEW. Here he is hanging out with, admittedly, a very good wrestler. Sorry, Aaron Cruz, but your boy Kip Sabian wears fucking jorts, mate. He wears fucking leggings. He wears a crop top, okay? <laughs> That's what Miro's doing. He's the best man to this plum, and he's in a rivalry with a guy who looks like a slightly out-of-shape stoner and another guy who is in great shape but can't be bothered to do anything and has his hands in his pockets. This is what we've come to. Where the fuck is Trent? Please come back, Trent. I assume he's injured. He is far and away the best thing about the best friends. Um, and I don't care about this match. And I'm glad that Miro won. But it doesn't mean anything because they won't book him into a position where he means something. He should be going after the world title. He should be a TNT champion. He should have won that ladder match. That's the kind of credibility and criteria I want to see Miro used in. So when people say to me, oh, Tony Khan's doing a good job. Fuck off, Izzy. He's a terrible booker. I'm sorry. How could you possibly have someone like Miro on your roster and not find a useful place for him? And this match had no business being on pay-per-view i had zero interest in this match and that says a lot because i think miro is fucking incredible not to mention you've got penelope ford at ringside one of your better women's wrestlers she's beautiful she's athletic she can do everything she's so fucking incredible penelope ford i have nothing but good things to say about her and she's a lovely human being as well a world-class human being but you haven't got any room for her she's just a prop at ringside to get hit What's the fucking point? Do better. And then the next match, Matt Hardy versus Hangman Page. Again, Hangman Page, huge star. Miro and Hangman Page. Can you imagine those two wrestling each other in a main event caliber match or Dynamite or on pay-per-view? Yes, please. Nah, bruv. He's busy with old man Matt Hardy, who's ditched all the stuff that we liked about him, the broken gimmick or, you know, even him being the I will not die Matt Hardy. And obviously that concussion against Sammy Guevara has really had a bad effect on him because he's decided that this gimmick is where he wants to go. Big money, Matt. At no point do I believe the stipulation of this match. This is the problem with AEW. Okay, it's a good program and I enjoy it, but they don't take certain things seriously enough. And you can't say when they do, come on. Who genuinely, now wrestling fans, especially AEW fans are gonna say, oh, but it's, it's not real, mate. Yeah, I know it's not real, but I want to feel like it is. I want to feel like what I'm watching is real. Like, I don't think, Marvel Avengers is real, but I still want to be drawn into the story, don't I? I still want to be drawn into the story. I still want to have an emotional connection to the characters. It's called acting, okay? And they're not doing any of that. Matt Hardy's like, huh, I want your, your first quarter earnings. What? 
Never in the history of wrestling have I seen a match for the first quarter earnings of the year, and I don't want to see it again. Thank God Hangman Page won at least. If Matt Hardy won, I might have been <laughs> I might have been compelled to turn it off. I wouldn't have, obviously, but come on. Matt Hardy winning? No, absolutely not. Especially not over Hangman Page. The guy's a megastar. Did like the fact that Dark Order came down. I said on the Predictions podcast they would. Really love the Dark Order. By the way, Coke Strong John Silver. Brilliant. <laughs> love him so much. Uh, he is one of the exceptions to the rule. He's proof that even if you're a smaller guy, you can get over by putting in the work. He looks like a big old tank of a man. And it looks believable when he picks guys up because he actually does it. Okay, it's not like a really weird spot where someone just jumps for him. He legitimately muscles these guys up. So I really like him and Reynolds, actually. I think they're a great tag team, and I feel like they should be pushed a lot more as well. And I, overall, I quite like the Dark Order. They've grown on me quite a bit. Still not fantastically happy about seeing an eight-year-old kid out there more often than not. He wasn't on his pay-per-view from what I could see, though, so fair enough. It is what it is. Or if he was, it was a brief fleeting appearance that I obviously missed. It's now time for the Face of the Revolution ladder match, or as I am calling it, who can rise to the glorious Honey Nut Cheerio first match? What the fuck is that thing? <laughs> it's either a Honey Nut Cheerio, a giant oversized one, admittedly, maybe they found one of the bootios from WrestleMania that was lying around, or it's one of the rings from Sonic. Okay, I'm not having anything else. Or maybe it's just one of Paul White's missing ring fingers. I don't fucking know. A few missing rings after this show, I can imagine, in a creative meeting. <laughs> Um, good match. This suffered from something that I feel like most ladder matches in all companies are now going to suffer from. I've seen it all. I have. I've seen it all before. I've seen guys run out the ladder. I was excited for two things. Uh, one was the guest surprise that we were going to get because we were informed that we were going to get a, you know, a to be announced. And of course, what was Penta going to do? Because he's one of my boys. Um, I love all the guys in this match. Not a single guy in this match I dislike. I love Lance Archer. I think he's their best big man. I fucking love Penta. I think he's one of the best luchadors in the world. Second only to his brother, Ray, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I love Scorpio Sky as well. But <sighs> it, it just felt like all the stunts. I'd seen them before. You know, some of them were cool. Don't get me wrong. You know, Canadian Destroyers and Package Power Drivers and... Oh, Scorpio Sky's five-star frog splash is a thing of beauty. It's right up there in Montez Ford's. Absolutely gorgeous. He did that on the ladder. Now, the surprise we got was all ego. Ethan Page, very, very pleased about that. Not very often would I say that I'm glad that a guy went to AEW over, say, WWE NXT, which is my favorite brand. But in the case of Ethan Page, I'm incredibly happy that he went to AEW because I know he's all about creative control and being very creative. WWE would not have allowed him to play out his gimmicks, his ideas in the way that he was able to in Impact or in his own promotions. And I feel like Ethan Page has got an incredible mind for entertainment and he's wickedly charismatic. I mean, he's called All Ego for a reason. Um, I felt that his appearance wasn't particularly fantastic in this match. Quite a few botches for my money. Maybe he was nervous. Don't know. But ultimately, he is a professional. And I have to critique if I see a lot of mistakes. And I did. Uh, that being said, he was still very good. Uh, I still love him dearly. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with him. I would have actually liked to have seen him win this match. But it's Scorpio Sky who raises out a hand and pulls down the glorious Cheerio. And of course, he will be eating cereal with great happiness because he will challenge Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. Scorpio Sky is your number one contender for the TNT Championship. Should be an excellent match, to be fair. And I actually have a sneaking suspicion he might win. Speaking of Darby Allen and the TNT Championship, 
Oh boy, we're going to upset some people here. So it was a street fight, as you all know. It was Sting and Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks, who I fucking adore, and Brian Cage. Cool. It was a cinematic. Very cool. That was what I expected. And do you know what? I thought cinematically it looked great. It was filmed beautifully. I loved the lighting. It had somewhat of a feel of the, uh, you know, the Crow fight scenes with Brandon Lee, the original Crow film. I, a lot of it looked fantastic. However, there were two problems. First of all, why in fuck's name did you allow commentary over this match? It's a cinematic match, okay? Think back, right, to all the great cinematic matches. Pretty much all of them didn't have a commentator. Even the great final deletion match, that didn't have a commentator. AJ Styles versus The Undertaker, that didn't have a fucking commentator. And if you did the Firefly Funhouse or even the Swamp Fight, you know, these were these were all matches that didn't need a commentator because the, the cinematic tells the story for you. That's exactly what this match did, and it looked great, and there were some amazing stunts. But I cannot enjoy it and get into it when all I can hear is Tony Schiavone marking out like a fucking annoying 12-year-old. What a prepubescent twat he likes to play on TV. I'm sorry, how anyone can honestly tell me Tony Schiavone is good at this point is beyond me. He's awful. Excalibur was inoffensive. JR was okay because, you know, he was able to lend himself well and obviously he recognises Sting, so he's going to be a little bit more invested from that perspective. But the second problem is, of course, Sting goes over. Why? Fuck, so if you want Sting to win the match in some way, fine. At least have Darby Allen get the pin for, okay? You got all these great spots. Darby Allen going for a fucking window was pretty wild. Uh, him flying out of another window into the pit of death and taking out Brian Cage with that insane elbow drop. That was fucking cool, too. And then it comes down to Ricky Starks and Sting. And at that point, I must admit, I thought, man, imagine if Ricky Starks goes over Sting. What a statement to be made. All I heard about when Sting arrived from AEW fans who were trying to clap back at WWE fans in this toxic fucking nature was, yeah, well, Sting isn't going to fucking bury talent. Sting isn't going to be going over talent. Sting is here to get people over. Now, did he get Darby Allen over? Yes. Why does Ricky Starks and Brian Cage have to fucking be completely cut off at the legs to do that? And people are going to say, yeah, but they got the rub. What rub? Only a million people, much less than that, actually watch this program regularly every week. There is no rub to be had from working with Sting. I'm sure Ricky Starks is thrilled to beans, and I'm happy for him that he got in the ring with Sting. But Sting doesn't need to win this match. He's 61 years old, and he went over a guy who's what? In his mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s? Doesn't matter. He's a gorgeous looking lad. You know, Ricky Starks is in the prime of his career. He's a young powerhouse. He's got everything you want. Brilliant cadence, great image. He feels like a high roller and he's so good on the mic. Nah, don't worry about it. We'll just have Sting, the 61-year-old man, pin him. It's Sting. And by the way, Sting is my favourite all-time babyface in history. So I don't want to hear people saying, yeah, we were just a salty hater. No. And there was nothing wrong with this match. It was a good cinematic. But get rid of the fucking commentary. And I bet it would have been tenfold more exciting. And fuck's sake, use these guys properly. You can find room for all these people to stuff them on dynamite for whatever reason and have competitive matches. But when it comes down to it, you need to make sure that the guys who really are the most talented crop that you have get the opportunity to flex themselves. By the way, Hook and Will Hobbs were involved in this as well. So it was essentially four on two once, of course, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks had dispatched all the uh, crow-looking goons that were around the ring. Yeah. 
I just don't understand. And when people say, especially Dave Meltzer, the fucking clown, he gave Tony Khan and his goons at the Wrestling Observer, they gave Tony Khan Booker of the Year. What, for stuff like this? That isn't good booking at all. You're a fucking idiot. Fuck off, Meltzer. Meltzer gives me a headache. Why are we still taking this demented old man seriously at this point? It's actually quite embarrassing. There were way too many things here which showed you why Tony Khan is not a good booker of wrestling, and this was one of them. It was very frustrating because I was actually really excited about this match in the end, despite the fact it had 61-year-old Sting, and I was willing to really give it an opportunity, and they just can't get out of their own way. And the finest example of that is the main event of the evening, a barbed wire deathmatch, an explosive deathmatch. Now, was it going to be ridiculously violent... No, it wasn't. I even tweeted out on at WrestlePlug, which you can follow on all social media. I even tweeted out and said, you know, this match is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be utterly brutal or utterly comedic. And they opted mostly for the latter. Now, were there some great spots? Absolutely. Uh, for me, I thought it was very meh in comparison to the old death matches. I don't think it did any of them justice whatsoever. You can name drop Terry Funk, JR, all you fucking want. You can name drop these Japanese legends like the guy that, you know, Moxie was paying homage to with his leather jacket. That's all very well and good, but they've still got to go out there and deliver the death match that we want to see. I wanted it to be a brutal affair. And also, let's not forget, AEW has said, yeah, we're not going to be cookie cutter. We're going to have swearing. We're going to make it more edgy and over the top. And it did some of that, but not enough. And like I say, they keep fucking getting in their own way. Didn't like the setup. Uh, first of all, you still got the ropes there. Now, that's not a deal breaker for me. But at the same time, they even said in the build up to it, don't forget the ropes are going to be replaced with barbed wire. They weren't replaced with barbed wire. You had some barbed wire wrapped around them. Did it look dangerous? Absolutely. Was it a deathmatch scenario? Yes, but I'm sorry, you could have ramped this up so much more. And ramp it up, they did not. <laughs> Now, the spots were great. I feel like John Moxley wanted to go out there and really do all the crazy stuff. He wanted barbed wire in his face, and he was, oh my God, the blood, and he looked great. And I actually have to give John Moxley a lot of love because I can be very critical of him. I thought John Moxley was fantastic in this match. I really did. I've loved John Moxley's run since he dropped the belt, actually. He's been world class, and it's a fucking shame because chances are he's going to be off TV for a while now. But congratulations, Mox. You're going to be a father, and you deserve that, mate. You really do. Uh, but fuck me. <laughs> so, you know, plenty of violent spots. That's fine. Kenny Omega, for me, didn't do nearly enough from a violent standpoint. And he didn't take enough either. And in a match environment like this, which is supposed to be, you know, John Moxley's wheelhouse, if anything, it was Kenny Omega who was the most assertive and most dominant. Now, if you want your champion to look dominant in that respect, then great. You know, mission accomplished. But the whole idea of this storyline, I thought, was that this is John Moxley's warehouse. John Moxley is the guy who wants to fucking bleed people to death. John Moxley's the deathmatch guy. John Moxley's the hardcore entity. And Kenny Omega's going to beat him at his own game. And yes, he did. But that doesn't mean that the journey shouldn't give Moxley a bit of credit. And I felt like Moxley spent a lot of this match getting batted around, quite literally, at some points. Now, the one spot that made me pop like crazy other than the end, for many reasons, was when he kicked out of the one-winged angel. But he didn't quite kick out, but he got his foot on the ropes and he sacrificed it so an explosion got off. Now, first of all, these explosions were stupid. Like, they didn't even look legit. They were just like, pfft, a little, you know, they had a little bang and they looked somewhat impressive. But the most impressive 
explosion spot of the whole thing was the one where it actually looked like it hit somebody. Other than that, it just looked like they were going firing smoke at them. You couldn't believe for a second that they were in any genuine danger unless they were in the barbed wire. The barbed wire was far more terrifying and far more dangerous and a legitimate threat. The explosives weren't. They were a fucking joke. And the way they set up the outside with the boards as well when they went through them. The spots look fucking gnarly. Especially when Moxley kind of gave him a, what I think it was a paradigm shift or a DDT of some sort into one of the boards. But then the explosions go off about two metres away from them. What's the point? Put them underneath or something. You've got infinite budget at AEW. I know you have. Because, my God, you flaunt it around. You certainly flaunt your money around signing all these big names. And I'm going to get to that in a moment because I feel like that's something that we want to talk about as well, obviously, not just Ethan Page's debut in the ladder match. Um, I just was so disappointed with the aesthetics of it. I feel like with some genuine thought and with the amount of time they had and a decent budget, they could have really made this look special. And the guys worked hard. You know, I didn't think Kenny Omega was shit in this match. Before he worked hard, he was fine. I'm not a Kenny Omega fan at all. I think he's one of the most overrated wrestlers I've ever seen. Uh, I loved him in New Japan. I feel like he has not captured even a, a glimpse of what he was in New Japan over in North America. But it is what it is. Kenny Omega goes over with the help, of course, of the Good Brothers. And then we get the moment that everybody's talking about. Now, the countdown was incredible. You know, the sirens are going off. The sounds are for, holy shit. It felt genuinely intense and real after a match which was somewhat 50-50. And Eddie Kingston comes down and, you know, he's sort of battling away with the heels a little bit. And then he just runs it. And he's like, you know, even I can't let this happen. And it was so well done. And Eddie Kingston is the best actor that AEW has. And he showed it here. It was so powerful and so emotional. I, I genuinely started welling up. I did. You know, I'm a mark for that. I completely fell hook, line, and sinker for it. I thought, oh, that's fucking incredible. He's going to, you know, come out, and is he going to save Moxley? And then he just decides, I'm going to take the grenade for you and cover you and try and protect you from the explosion. And you think, right, I've seen them do the end of the death match where they drag the referee down, and the whole thing blows up, and they've got these, like, pebble shatterers and things, and it looks utterly incredible. And that was back in the days when they didn't have crazy budgets. Japan didn't have the access to money like AEW does. So I'm thinking, all you got to do right now, one big explosion, make it look like they were legitimately at threat of being destroyed or hurt in some way. I'm right here. I'm right fucking here with the emotion. I'm like, oh my fucking God, this is incredible. This is an amazing moment. And then... <laughs> Sparklers. Sparklers and a bit of smoke. That's what we got. You could clearly see, right? that it wasn't anywhere near them either. You could have at least sprayed the smoke actually on them so it looked like there was a potential, or made some sparks go on them so it looked like there may have been a potential to get burned or something and have Eddie Kingston shivering up. And then these poor fuckers have to lay there and sell as if they've been burnt alive or they've been hit by an actual grenade blast. And don't get me started on fucking Don Callis calling this an extermination chamber. Who the fuck greenlit that fucking phrase? Sparklers and smoke and the show... I believe somewhat goes off the air. And I think Moxley, after the show went off the air, got on the mic and cut a very impassioned speech and all that, which is great. It would be very interesting to see if they're going to show that later down the line or on the internet for whatever reason. But you want to talk about an anticlimactic notion. And I asked people to send me in their thoughts, you know, and a couple of people said to me, oh, I'm willing to give 
Tony Khan the benefit of the doubt. No, you you wouldn't give anyone else the benefit of the doubt. So why does Tony Khan get it? Oh, but he's new and he's only just started and I love AEW and he's, he's daddy Tony. Tony Khan isn't a good human being. He's a whopping great Trump lunatic. Stop defending the man and stop defending this shit. This is the booker of the year, is it? It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> there was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> You're right, Marvin. There was. <laughs> but instead, we got Gilbert's entrance, mate. What an ending to a show. Uh, the other big talking point, of course, which I actually went past, was the big, big money signing. Who was going to be the Hall of Fame-worthy candidate? And I should have known as soon as he said, oh, yeah, he's definitely a... Hall of Fame worthy candidate because we've said on this podcast for a long time that this man should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, but he's now in AEW, which means he's probably never going to be in the WWE Hall of Fame because I don't know how petty Vince is. Of course, it's Christian Cage I'm talking about. He is now all elite. Mixed feelings. I'm very happy for Christian and I cannot wait to see him wrestle and I think this is a great pickup for AEW. However, there are two things that are big critiques for me. First of all, I'm gutted I won't get to see Edge and Christian reunite just once. I, I, I know that they did in the Rumble. I would have loved to have seen him wrestle the Usos or, you know, a big tag team like the New Day or something. That would have been such a great feeling. Could they not have just given us that quickly and then let him jump ship, essentially, which is what they did. They obviously didn't offer him enough money, which is fine. Whatever. Uh, I'm glad that he got that little reunion, though. But the other thing is, AEW fans are marking out like crazy. You know, they're losing their shit. And good, good. Good, rightfully so, because Christian is a fucking legend and he deserves your love. However, do not fucking go on the internet and keep blasting off at WWE saying, oh, fucking hell, they keep pushing all these veterans. We don't. We raise homegrown talent. Dude, Ethan Page is fantastic, but he was made in Impact and in Canada's independency, okay? Sting's coming, for fuck's sake. You know, even your somewhat homegrown talent, the elite and stuff, none of your talent is homegrown other than arguably Darby Allen. And actually, newsflash, he was pretty hot shit before he even arrived in AW. if you watch the independent scene enough. So, you know, it really frustrates me because I don't have a personal problem with it, but don't be fucking going on the internet and giving it all this. It's like, mm, yeah, well, fucking, you know, WWE does this, WWE does that, we're perfect. No, you're not. You're not perfect. WWE is certainly not fucking perfect, and neither are you. You are not excused from criticism just because you are a newer company. Ridiculous. I wonder if it was like this back in the, like, the mid-90s when I was like, you know, I was only like 10, 12 years old during the Monday Night Wars, but I can't imagine like WCW fans, yeah, well, WCW doesn't do anything wrong. WCW is amazing. <laughs> I'm interested to see whether it was like that, but then a lot more people were watching wrestling back then. What a massively underwhelming end to what was actually, what a massively underwhelming end to what was genuinely, for me, a really good pay-per-view. Like I say, those two matches in the middle, I couldn't give a shit about. The booking was dumb and carny in a lot of places, but there was also some really good booking. You know, Tony Khan isn't a complete fucking Egypt. Ray Phoenix and Pac went in the tag team battle royale was fucking fantastic. I thought that was matching the night. It was so entertaining. Plenty of great surprises. And great to see some new faces. Some legitimate talent that you could get behind. I thought the ladder match was great. There was some great talent in there. Max Caster, of course. Um, I absolutely loved the filming of the street fight. I just thought all the aesthetics around it and the ambiance were completely fucking ruined. Uh, I thought the tag team tire match was excellent. I thought the women's tire match was fantastic. 
So, you know, there was plenty there that I'm very positive about. So don't be fucking coming at me in the comments and sending me more hate mail on Facebook, which I seem to get every fucking day now, calling me a fat retard, or oh, you've got fucking bigger tits and blah, blah, blah. I know, mate, I've never pretended I'm not fat, bruv, right? <laughs> but what makes me laugh is the fact that, you know, you act as if I actually hate this fucking brand, and I don't. I just want it to succeed. And there are clearly things here that are stopping it from taking that next level. You can't tell me that if you got that explosion right, if you hadn't got that ending just perfect, that it wouldn't bring in more and more people who would have been like, holy shit, did you see this incredible, compelling piece of acting, this performance art, so to speak, that was at the end of this show? And instead, all anyone's going to be fucking talking about, despite a very good pay-per-view overall, is the fact that you had a load of fucking sparklers at the end and two men had to pretend as if they were in a fucking grenade shelter. It's a shame. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley especially deserved better because they are really putting in a shift. I thought it was a world-class performance from them. Like I say, I was down near in tears when Eddie Kingston covered over him and they got all the setup right and the sirens going off. I was like, oh my God, I was genuinely fucking gripped with tension and terror and then... <sighs> <laughs> Do you know what it reminded me of? Imagine you've been to the cinema with a loved one or a friend or a partner or whatever and you'll be watching like a really intense film. Maybe you've gone to see something like Saving Private Ryan or, a, you know, an epic war blockbuster. It, it reminded me of like, can you imagine like right at the pinnacle of the scene, someone's maybe about to die or someone's being held in their arms. It's like, I'm sorry, please don't leave me. And they're like slowly passing away. It, the equivalent would be if your significant other was sat next to you and just let out a whopping great ripper. It totally rinsed the area of all the emotion, the atmosphere aside. <laughs> oh lord but that was AEW revolution i had fun i'll give you that thank you AEW. i had a lot of fun and i look forward to seeing what you guys do on dynamite now if you've got any thoughts of your own ladies and gentlemen obviously you are welcome to send them in at WrestlePlug, and of course you can contact us on all social media so even if you haven't had your say yet and you want to have your say after the fact you can leave it in the comments below or you can send it to our social media and we'll discuss it on the state of wrestling address later in the week which is of course our weekly wrestling news podcast we also have some great interviews that have been dropping right now so please check those out we just had just joe lando on the podcast who is incredible one of europe's best high-flying wrestlers if not the best he is a guy that you will want to pay attention to that young kid has got an incredible future we had aaron cruz on the podcast we've got future guests coming which were announced later in the week we've got a lot of interviews lined up we've got a lot of interviews now starting to pile up in the backlog and i'll be working very hard to edit all of those so your support is greatly greatly appreciated and of course you can always buy a t-shirt from wrestleplug.bigcartel.com or prowrestlingtees.com slash wrestleplug now then before we leave, uh, one of my very good friends, a real good soul, somebody I really, really love and care about, uh, is a little bit of the Amy, who is on the Twitter and Instagram. You will have seen Amy. She's fantastic. A Brit that lives abroad. She lives in Florida. And she actually attended AEW's Revolution pay-per-view. So I actually wanted people to hear her thoughts on the show and what it was like from her perspective, because she is a super, super mark to her own admittance. She loves Kenny Omega. So, of course, we're always biting heads about that. Um, but I really was excited to see what she thought, because obviously being there is very different from watching it on TV at home. So this is what Amy had to say. I am a huge Britt Baker fan, which is funny because when AEW first started, who did I hate? Britt Baker. 
Why Brett Baker. Hate, but why did, why you... did I hate Brett Baker? Because I love Adam Cole. But I love Brett Baker now. She's fantastic. She has grown so much in her character and she is brilliant in the ring and I think she thoroughly deserves that belt. DMD. She's a dentist, so you know. Okay, so the tag match for the belts. Fantastic. Love MGF. Love Jericho. But I'm a huge books fan, so I had to pull for the books. Whereas he pulled for Jericho and MGF. I didn't. But um, yeah, it was, I love that match. That was a great match. Oh, the Battle Royale. Okay. That was really, that was great. I loved it because I love, oh, here's my thing with AEW. I love everybody. I don't hate anyone. So it was fantastic. Loved everybody in it. Except I was really hoping that G.O.D. Thrills the Destiny was going to like turn up. queen thank you very much amy for sending those in hopefully actually we're going to get amy onto the podcast a little bit more regularly possibly a, a nice little one-on-one -on -one chat get her on for zoom or something and we can chat about AEW as a pairing because i really think that she's a, a great palate cleanser to my highly critical nature she's a really super positive human being and she deserves a lot of love and appreciation so thank you once again amy and obviously that'll do from the wrestle plug ladies and gentlemen like i say if you've got any thoughts maybe you've got some opinions uh, just like amy and you want to send them into us we're happy to share them on the pod at wrestleplug across all social media brands if you want to get at us i am Aaron Nix. thank you very much for watching hopefully you've enjoyed this extended review of AEW revolution and also there's been some cheeky highlights in there in case you didn't get the opportunity to see it yourself i'll catch you very soon for more content from the wrestleplug